Over the last few weeks, we have been continuing and going through a series called Teach Us to Pray, where we've been exploring the Lord's Prayer together. And last week was kind of the beginning of a turn in the prayer that helps us kind of better understand how this prayer is shaped to craft our imagination, how it's meant to work on us. And so to recap, as we began this series, you know, our we're going through the prayer kind of segment by segment, line by line. When we began this series, we looked how the beginning of this prayer unpacks how Christ, Jesus telling his disciples to pray, how Christ invites us to address God, right? So it says, your kingdom come, how it be your name, your will be done. It's us praying, addressing God. How should we pray? Well, we should pray from a posture of reverence to God. That's how this prayer begins, right? Our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer, the sustainer of all. We pray to God, your name, your will, your kingdom. But remember, the prayer doesn't leave us there because the second half of this prayer starts to focus different direction. It focuses on our lives, on us, on our lived reality, And so we have this change. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. And lead us not into temptation. So we have this shift, right? Beginning you, second half, starts to focus on us. And in the structure of this prayer that's given to us, the structure of the prayer with the two parts, parts about God, parts about us, it comes to the center, which is held together. This is the center of the prayer. On earth... As it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. So, this is the mission for people of faith that earth would reflect heaven through the way that we live our lives. This is the lens that this prayer invites us to engage in the practice of prayer through. We address God, we invite God, we, uh, we commune with God. We pray for ourselves, we pray for the world through us, and we do that in a way that brings heaven and earth together, the center of this prayer. This is, again, a lens that is crafted for us in the structuring of this prayer. And if we were to go through the whole structure of the book of Matthew, the book itself has a similar structure. So the center of the book is about the kingdom of God. And it parallels tip to tail all the way into this center. And so the way that literature works, the way that this kind of structuring works, is it's not like, again, uh, movies that we have where the ending, if we watch a movie, the payoff is at the end for us in the linear, modern, Western way that we watch movies. The way the stories and invitation is crafted in this way is it typically starts in the center, and so you read backwards You reread everything in light of what that center is. And what you say that center is then reveals more about you than it does about the text. So this is how this prayer is designed to work. It's designed to have us think about heaven on earth together as our animating heart. So specifically last week we looked at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And if you missed it, you can catch the replay on an online, YouTube, Facebook, it's all there. But we talked about a lot of provision. How this prayer pushes against the notion that we are self-made. 
and that we are made not just for ourselves. That we are not just made by ourselves and for ourselves. As people of faith, we participate in making heaven a reality on earth as we steward the provision of God. Not just, again, for ourselves, but for all of creation. For all of creation. So this prayer reminds us that we are not only self-made, we are not only made for self. The direction of our life points outwards. We can't truly embody the heart of the Lord's Prayer without this recognition between thy will be done and give us today our daily bread. We can't do it. And so when we ask for daily bread, we're asking in a way that points to in giving us bread, how can we bring heaven and earth together on earth as it is in heaven? How does that prayer of God provide, give us today what we need, how does that point us and form us, nourish us towards being on earth as in heaven people? Today we're focusing on the next verse in this portion of you, or of us being involved. And so we're looking at verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And as we've done through most of the series, uh, I invite you to join me as we pray this scripture together. If you would, let us read and pray our passage, starting in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen and amen. The gospel is a very dangerous idea. We have to see how much of that dangerous idea we can perform in our own lives. There is nothing innocuous or safe about the gospel. Jesus did not get crucified because he was a nice man. Jesus did not get crucified because he was a nice man. The gospel is a dangerous idea. These are strong words, to be sure. They also speak to kind of the radical, radicality, the nature of God's kingdom and the power of the Lord's prayer. The gospel is a dangerous idea, just like how forgiveness is a dangerous idea that shapes how we can live and how we can live out the transformative mission of God. And in this prayer, what is that mission again? In the Lord's prayer? On earth as it is in heaven. This is a dangerous idea. Christians are not the only ones in the world who preach about the values of forgiveness. If you go to the Mayo Clinic website, you go to John Hopkins, you go to uh, Psychology Today, you go to any place where you want to talk about the benefits or the value of forgiveness, you can find a lot of content out there. 
They have lots of content hailing the benefits and the values of what forgiveness does. Psychology Today has a tag that you can search all of the articles about forgiveness. And the reasons are all good. You know, this is from the Mayo Clinic. It says, forgiveness can lead to uh, healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety and stress and hostility, fewer symptoms of depression, lower blood pressure, stronger immune system, improved heart health, improved self-esteem. Like these are good things to have in our life. I think we would agree that's a great thing to have. All of this is so rich, so good. There's nothing inherently wrong about practicing forgiveness because of all these positive health outcomes, positive relational outcomes. That said, notice the direction that's embedded in these snapshots. Like, what's the impetus to forgive? It's pointed back to what it's going to do for me. What is going to benefit my health, my well-being. Again, not inherently wrong. Like, we forgive for our own good. That is true. But forgiveness in the Christian faith is oriented a little differently. If this is the extent of our motivations, if we only ever forgive because it's going to get me more life, more vibrancy, we miss some of the ways that forgiveness is meant to craft something more. In the Christian faith, our motivations, our practice of this, if it doesn't move outside of ourselves, it remains incomplete. And so here in the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, Jesus is prompting us to remember that we are all meant to be participants and co-creators within creation. We're created and we're created to, to connect to God and to connect to self and to connect to neighbor. We're connected to do these things. This is something Jesus echoes all throughout his ministry. Remember when the teachers of the law, they ask him, what is the most important commandment? This happens in multiple gospels, but they say, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus, he doesn't name one, he names two. And they're consistent with what he says in this prayer. Take a look at Mark 12, 29, 31. The most important one, the most important commandment, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now note this. There is no commandment, singular, greater than these. What he's doing is he's taking this devotion to God that has been existing in the culture. This is the the highest good. He's bringing love of neighbor in the same way. So he can say, these are two separate things. He calls them these. But he says, this commandment, he brings them together. No greater commandment is it than these two things when they're brought together. Love of God, love of neighbor. Divinity, humanity. Heaven and earth. 
If we call ourselves Christians, this is part of our mission. This prayer, again, it centers in bringing heaven and earth together. On earth as it is in heaven. Of course, this is expressed in a variety of ways. But the trajectory of participating in bringing heaven and earth together, it kind of frames our lives. It frames out how we are called to practice forgiveness. Let's look at our verse for the morning. John six twelve, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. True to this prayer's structure, this verse, it, it pairs with verse 10. Thy kingdom come. So what keeps us from participating in making God's kingdom come, in participating on earth and heaven being one? What keeps us from being able to do that, to live that mission out well? Relational brokenness, fractured community, isolation, siloed living, The kingdom of God, verse 10a, it doesn't come into being. It doesn't manifest if life is just about good deeds for ourselves. God is innately relational. So the kingdom of God is more so understood, we could better understand it, you've heard me say this a couple times, as the kingdom of God. It's rooted in personal relationship. It's rooted in relationship over the exercising of power over to create a kingdom. Like the motivation of the kingdom of God is how we are connecting with each other. It's personhood over power. It's the way that we are able to live out this mission on earth as it is in heaven. When Christ teaches us to pray, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The point isn't to save us from going to a place of destruction. The point of praying and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors is because if we can't do that, we can't live out our mission. If we can't do forgiveness, if we can't practice forgiveness, we can't bring heaven and earth together. Now, that's a tricky thing to say because forgiveness is hard. It's extremely hard. And outside of that, it's not a one-time thing. It's not an event. It's a process. Some people have framed it as saying, forgiveness is a decision that we make every day. Because like events that happen in our lives, tragedies that happen in our lives, traumas that happen in our lives, it doesn't just happen one time. We event happens and we live it. And forgiveness is this process and decision of making space within the bounds of safety to find wholeness and to be able to start moving into that mission of heaven and earth together. But again, this is hard. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Have you noticed in this verse how, just as it talks about prayers to God, right? Forgive us our debts. Notice that it talks about, as we also have forgiven our debtors in the past tense. 
It says, we will pray to God for forgiveness as we have already been practicing the act of forgiveness in our lives. Now, one way to hear this is tricky because it might seem like, and you might hear it like, well, in order for God to forgive me, that means there's a causal relationship to how I forgive people in my life. And so if I can't forgive people in my life, does that mean that God doesn't forgive me? If that's the reading of the text, that seems to be a little inconsistent with the character of God and the way that God has described even in this passage. That's not the case, friends. We're invited to forgive. But one thing that is being described is the posture for us to be able to engage forgiveness well with God is set when we are forgiving people in our lives. So it's not a like for like. It's not a A plus B equals forgiveness. But it is a priming of the pump, so to speak. As we have forgiven others, we become aware of the ways that God is inviting us into relationship of forgiveness. So this prayer sets up forgiveness in two ways. As we pray for forgiveness, we're also asked to act out forgiveness. An illustration of this from the book of Matthew is in Matthew 18. And this is when Peter, he is coming to, uh, to Jesus, and he says to Jesus and asks him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus, he'll go on and tell this parable about the kingdom of heaven. And he'll say, this whole parable, the kingdom of heaven is one that is about forgiveness. It's one that invites and uh, is characterized by the way forgiveness centers here. But I want you to notice what Peter asks here. Peter asks, How many times should I forgive my offender? When am I justified in my anger? Perhaps we've all asked these questions ourselves. How many times should we forgive? When are we justified in our anger, in our rage? Another way of putting his question into our language is, When is it okay for me to be unforgiving? Where's that line? If I cross over that line, when's it okay for me to be unforgiving? What does Jesus say to this? Jesus says, that's a bad question. That way of seeing the world, that question is missing the point. The question we should be asking ourselves isn't, when is it okay to be unforgiving? The question we should be asking is, what is the danger of becoming an unforgiving person? So not where is the line, but what happens if we cross that line? If we make it so forgiveness doesn't happen in my life, if it becomes impossible, what is the danger of becoming an unforgiving person? See how the question has changed? 
He's taking Peter's question and he says, don't try and find where that gradient is. Don't try to find where that is. Think about what happens if you cross it, whatever that is in your life. The point of the parable and the point of praying forgiveness in the Lord's prayer is not that you are going to go to hell if you don't forgive. It's not that we destroy ourselves if we don't forgive. That does happen, but it's not just that. It's not that we gain positive health benefits if we forgive. That will happen. Instead, the point is that if we, uh, if we don't forgive, we start making it possible not to go to a place of destruction, but we start experiencing that destruction on earth as long as we're holding on to forgiveness. So the point of the parable isn't to point us away. It's to point out our reality. What happens? What's formed in us as we hold on to unforgiveness? What do we experience on earth when we hold on to it? Unforgiveness, it affects us mentally, spiritually, emotionally, All of those studies earlier, physically, lots of physical things, right? It uh, stresses the way that we're able to interact with people. And this is one of the keys of forgiveness itself. We oftentimes think about forgiveness of us with other, and that's what's affected. But sometimes the hardest people to forgive are ourselves. That also affects the way that we engage all the other things. Where there is unforgiveness becomes difficult for redemption in our lives to happen. And that's not because the love of God and the redemption of God isn't possible in those places. But our ability to receive the redemption of God starts to have barriers when we're holding on to unforgiveness. Now again, one thing we want to be clear about is It doesn't mean that forgiveness is forgetting or an erasure of what happens or a tuck it away and never look at it kind of thing. That's not the posture that we're invited into in forgiveness. To bring heaven and earth together and to pray God's kingdom to come means that we're aiming towards reconciliation. We're aiming towards it. Now what that doesn't mean, all the caveats in place, is that forgiveness sometimes won't end there. So forgiveness sometimes will not end there. Because to be reconciled means that there's a conciling, right? There's a coming together. And if that doesn't happen, that isn't always on us. So don't mishear what this is saying. It's saying to engage in forgiveness is the opening of ourselves, but then if that's not reciprocated or engaged in a way that is safer with wisdom, we start to actually twist the the gift that forgiveness is for us and for the community around us. Think about it this way in this story. King David is there and Saul chases him and tries to murder him with a spear in the Old Testament. Throws a spear at him. And the first time that he does that, what does King David do? He gives the spear back and says, this is yours. What happens next? Later on, a couple chapters later, he gets chased again. 
And the spear gets thrown at him, and his life it almost loses his life. So the second time, David, he gives the spear back, but this time he does it from the other side of a valley. He creates distance. That's wisdom in reconciliation. That's wisdom in reconciliation. He still says, this is rightfully yours, even though you meant ill with it, but I'm not giving it to you right here. I'm on the other side because history has told me that wisdom is needed here. When we think of reconciliation, that's a form of it that forgiveness invites us into. Forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness is aimed towards reconciliation, but it might not always end there because it takes two. Sometimes reconciliation reconciliation isn't possible for a season, and then it becomes more possible. Other times it's not possible in our lived reality now. Our hope is that ultimately reconciliation will happen. But we might not be able to experience that in our lifetime. Still, forgiveness opens us up to be people who start to live heaven and earth together. And start to live thy kingdom come. And it opens us up to be able to say, Lord, your will be done in the way that you provide for us. As you do that, you make life able for us to enter into relationship with others in meaningful ways. Again, I, we started with that quote of saying how the gospel is a very dangerous idea. The moment we start thinking about forgiveness, not just about what it gives me, or what benefits it gives to myself. The moment we start thinking about forgiveness in a way that challenges the way that we interact with other, it starts to become very dangerous. We might find ourselves having conversations that feel weighty or fiery. And so with that, we want to continue to stress wisdom in how that happens. Share how the process of forgiveness and the, the, the call into being a forgiving people, share how that starts to weigh on us and receive insight from others in community that shape the way that we're able to connect with others. This is part of the beauty of this prayer. What we'll look at next week is that last portion where we'll say, lead us not into temptation. One of the temptations that this prayer names for us is participating in forgiveness that malforms us. Holding forgiveness as an ideal that actually can be oppressive. Resist that temptation. This prayer works back on every element that we've read through. It's also no wonder that at the end of this prayer, a couple verses later, we have an extended section on what it means to forgive. What it means to hold space with others. To commit to a life and a hope in God that allows us to hope for reconciliation to happen. This is the invitation in this prayer.
And so to that end, as we imagine the invitation from this one line in this prayer that has been about heaven and earth coming together, how might God invite you this morning into being able to participate in the reconciliation of brokenness in our own lives. And not just staying here, but in the reconciliation of lives outside of ours that intersect. It could be in the sense of intercession. It could be in the sense of petition. It could be in the sense of confession. That we are a people that are invited into this process. And as we do that, our mission becomes clear. We do this to bring heaven and earth together. That's what this prayer asks us. It's a dangerous idea. It's a dangerous place to live in. But I want us to reflect on how this dangerous idea might actually tangibly change the patterns of my life. If you would, join me. Let us pray together around the Lord's Prayer. God, we are grateful for the gift of this day. We're grateful for the way that you create space in the world for us to, uh, to meet you and for the ways that you create space for us to mediate you to meet you through the mediation of others. We want to own that forgiveness is hard. And in the call to forgiveness and being a forgiving people, we pray that you would uh, shape our lives with with a boldness and a courageous spirit, with a boldness to encounter you well, to have hard conversations, to be open to the hope that you are making things new. We pray that in the ways we embody this dangerous idea this week and in the weeks to come, that your spirit would cover us, that you would protect us, that we would move with wisdom as we think about what forgiveness needs to happen in our own lives. Move in our hearts and stir our minds. And may that fire that is within, uh, within us, may it be a sanctifying fire, a purifying fire, a fire that makes things clean and one that makes us whole. We pause and we reflect on who you are. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Make us new today. We pray this with Christ by the Spirit. And everyone said, amen.